It's Wednesday, February 22nd, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, live from Goodyear, Arizona, where the wind is blowing, the rain is falling, but uh, the Guardians hope to get out on the field at some point today. Uh, Hoynesy, the uh, the news of the day on Tuesday was uh, was Terry Francona's speech and and all of the uh, the follies that surrounded it. Uh, we'll get to that in a, in a minute. Uh, first, I want to talk uh, about something uh, you wrote about this morning. Uh, Francona's looking for a backup catcher, and and what what the uh, the backup catcher coming out of spring training might need to look like uh, for the Guardians, and who the candidates for that position might be. Uh, what's the latest on who's going to back up Mike Zanino uh, as the Guardians starting as the Guardians backup catcher? Yeah, Joe, I, you know, I asked Tito yesterday, uh, you know, what are the qualifications he looks for in a backup catcher? And, he, you know, he said, you know, well, first of all, you don't want the game plan to change. You don't want, you know, to really have to alter the game, cha- the game plan, no matter who you who you have behind the plate. And a second, you don't want a guy that the pitchers don't want to throw to. And, uh, you know, and I think. Um, he thinks uh, they they brought in uh, you know uh, they've got like seven catchers in camp, um, and you know four of them are non roster guys that we we've talked about, Cam Gallagher, uh, Maybreese uh, Valoria, um, uh, the, uh, the kid from uh, the White Zach Sox, Collins. Yeah, Zach Collins and uh, David Fry, and uh, you know Lavastida and uh, Bo Naylor in camp along with uh, Zanino, so. He's going to have a. There's a wide variety to choose from. Yeah, there's a lot of options there, uh, and and a lot of familiarity. At least you know the the club is familiar with a couple of the faces in in guys like Gallagher and Collins as well. Uh, defensively, does anybody uh, out of that group really stand out in terms of uh, blocking, pitch framing, uh, throwing? Uh, does anybody have a reputation among those guys as being a solid? Uh, defender, I, you know, we're not looking for, uh, you know, Roberto Perez level, uh, you know, go an entire season without a pass ball. But, you, you know, like you said, that that comfortability with the pitching staff needs to be there. These, these guys need to know if Shane Bieber is going to bury a curveball, he's going to need to know that the, uh, the backup is going to be able to block it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, <clears throat> uh, Frank Conan was very uh, complimentary about, uh, you know, Valeria, Valeria and uh, Cam Gallagher, you know, in I guess their one-on-one meetings, he said he liked what they had to say about, you know, their role and what was important to them. <clears throat> and, you know, having followed Tito, you know, what, what he likes with catchers is they're willing to give themselves up, they're at bats up, you know, to work with the catch, to work with the pitcher, get them through tough innings, you know, and, and you know, run the game. Um and, you know, it, it, it'd be nice if they each hit 30 home runs, you know, but, you know, he said that's not realistic. We want a guy that can run the game and, you know, just calm things down out there. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, the, the number one key is that they can, you know, control the run game, uh, you know, block defensively, throw and and keep these uh, young pitching staff uh, on, on, the, on the right course and, uh, you know, not have to change the game plan, like you said, uh, from 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 catcher to catcher, from day to day in the rotation. Uh, it should be interesting uh, to see if any of these guys, even if they don't make the club, uh, guys like Valoria or 
uh, Gallagher would think about accepting an assignment to AAA, knowing that there's a, a spot for them. You know, maybe if if somebody doesn't produce or if uh, somebody gets hurt and there's there's a need for them at the major league level, uh, you can't ever have too many you know solid catching options at uh, at AAA waiting to 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 be there. Uh, we've seen in the last few years how many times have they uh, signed and released Sandy Leone, a uh, guy that they you know uh, like to come in and do the job, but is is not a guy that they see as a you know a future piece. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, uh, Tito was saying you like to have like three capable catchers. You know, you got to have that kind of depth, like, you know, maybe one guy or two guys at AAA, two guys at the big leagues. And he said, you know, he really kind of, you know, complimented Hedges and, uh, you know, Luke Maley from last year saying they really were, you know, that kind of the ideal combination. He said, especially Maley, you know, he was he was willing to, you know, to uh, accept that backup role. And, uh, you know, he kind of th- thrived in it. And, uh, you know, there was there was no drop off, whether, you know, it was Hedges or or uh, Maley behind the plate. And I think that's that's the kind of guy they're looking for, Joe. The, the the question that I have, you know, Brian Lavastida is is on the forty man roster, and and this is a guy who, you know, in an ideal world, you've got Bo Naylor as your starter and Lavastida as your backup, uh, but you know, it, it's just a matter of time, a matter of time getting these guys there, uh, as far as them being ready. Uh, they they had to pull the trigger early earlier than they necessarily would have wanted to last year with Lavastida putting him on the opening day roster because Maley had his, uh, his hamstring issue. Uh, is, is he sort of getting lost in the shuffle here or, or could he just be the guy if he steps forward in spring training and, and says, Hey, I'm already on the 40 man. You know, you might as well just open the season with him there. Yeah. I mean, I think the opportunity is there. I think they probably want to go with a more a veteran guy, but like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we talked about Naylor, you know, he's going, He's going to, uh, you know, play in Team Canada. Um, so, you know, he's going to miss a chunk of time. Uh, Maybreeze uh, Valoria is going to play with uh, Columbia in the WBC, so he misses a chunk of time. So, you know, I, I would think uh, Lavastida is going to get a look here, and uh, hopefully he takes advantage of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing is can can Lavastida do enough in the time that uh, that those two guys are away from camp to to sort of stand out and say, hey, you know, don't forget, I'm already on the 40, man. You don't have to make a move or, or sign anybody extra or or add anybody or cut anybody from the 40, man, if you uh, if you keep me. So uh, interesting to, to follow the backup catcher role and, and see uh, all of this presupposes that Zanino is is ready for opening day. And, and all the indications so far have been that that he's going to catch the the Cactus League opener and that he's going to, you know, be able to go uh, as much as they, they want to push him early in camp. Yeah, he's caught all the, uh, you know, the the live BP sessions that I've seen. He's been behind the plate, Joe. Uh, he seems to be moving around okay. And uh, Francona said yesterday they still expect him to uh, handle the bulk of the uh, catching um, behind the plate once the regular season starts. He said, you know, nobody catches, very few people catch 140 games anymore. So I don't think you're going to look at that. But I guess if he could catch between, what, 95 and 120 games, they'd be satisfied? Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a successful season. And, and and if he could hit, 
you know, between 20 and, you know, maybe 25, you know, home runs, that'd be even better. So we'll, we'll see what he can, uh, what he can produce. Uh, you mentioned Terry Francona. Uh, it, I, I'm sitting here uh, back in Cleveland reading these stories that, that came out yesterday about, you know, how Tito showed up to your press conference uh, after his big speech yesterday, all sweaty and, and, and worked up. And, you know, and then he tells you the, the whole story about how his, his last 24 hours had been a, a total disaster, a total nightmare for him. Uh, but, you know, that's, I'll tell you, that's Tito. And over the last however many years, we, we've come to just sort of understand that if it, if it can go wrong sometimes for Tito, it, it, it does. Uh, he, he broke his tooth on uncooked pasta. This is for, for an Italian guy and a guy who can cook pasta uh, on his own. I, I mean, I've been doing it for years. How do you break your tooth? How how were you how were you Italian and and break your tooth on uncooked pasta? I, that that was that would have been my first question to Tito. Uh, I mean, I understand the microwave and it's a, it's a little different and all that, but I mean, I, I've got generations of Italian grandmas coursing through my blood, and I, I don't understand how Tito breaks his tooth on uncooked pasta. He's letting the program down, Joe. Jeez, oh man, I don't know. If I, yeah, he said, you know, he, he didn't zap it long enough and the bottom part of the pasta was frozen. He bit into it and then goodbye tooth. This is a guy who has his own pasta sauce that he that they jar and sell with, you know, he he, he made it with uh, with his, his dad a few years ago. Uh, you know, God rest Tito Francona Sr.'s soul. I mean, that's. Uh, I he he's got to be rolling over. That's that's just uh, <laughs> I'm flabbergasted by breaking your tooth on uncooked pasta when you're as Italian as Terry Francona is. <laughs> Moving on, and and also and also I the just the visual of him spilling his coffee all over his speech. Yeah. I, I'm I'm there for that too. That that's uh, at three thirty in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I get it. It's 3.30 in the morning, the biggest speech of the year, the biggest conversation you're going to have with the, with the team and the guys, and, and you're nervous. But, uh, yeah, that's that's Tito, man. That's so great. And then, it, really, the, the, the detail in there was that he couldn't figure out how to work the copier. Yeah. He had to wait, wait for somebody to show up. Yeah, there was uh, nobody. He was, he was there so early, no one was at the uh, complex. <laughs> well... Over the years, we've come to find out that that Tito wages a, almost a daily war against technology in in a lot of forms, uh, and including printers uh, of all sorts. I mean, he they have to print out their lineup cards, and and he does that. And you know, in in every city that they go to, you know, he's got the the, the printer that he takes with him, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a constant struggle for him to uh, to catch up to technology, but it. All all of these stories, all they really do, you know, getting his his uh, his scooter stolen and, and getting it returned and, you know, having fans outside the ballpark, uh, you know, almost flash him after a playoff. Game. Yeah. All of these stories, they just they go into the the rich tapestry that is is Tito's time here in uh, in Cleveland. And they just make him more endearing and more lovable and more part of you know, just who uh, the Guardians are and who Guardians fans are. And 
Uh, I can't get enough of them. So, you know, <laughs> I, I hope more disaster uh, on the smaller scale follows Tito around spring training because these stories are just fantastic. Yeah. It reminded me, Joe, the, t- the time in uh, the ALCS in Toronto when uh, he was telling us uh, – before a playoff game, one of the playoff games, that he had broken a tooth and he had to go to the dentist at midnight. And another time when, you know, he, he didn't eat, I think this was during the World Series, when he when he was hungry and it was like room service had closed down and he ordered like $40 worth of ice cream. And stuff. <laughs> Just stuff yeah. like crazy stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, the, the $40 worth of ice cream, uh, that, was, that was also a visual of Tito sitting in bed with like, just like, pints of of melted ice cream sitting all around him that again we we can't get enough of these stories it, it it's what makes covering these guys so much fun uh hey speaking of what makes covering these guys fun uh the, the rules changes this year uh keeping everybody on their toes uh you're, you're there in camp uh there's there's some noticeable changes for sure when you step out onto the field when these guys step out onto the practice fields uh, what have you noticed so far uh, about the the new rules, including the pitch timer, uh, the uh, larger bases, and the infield shifts? Yeah, you know, we were talking to a Victor Rodriguez, uh, the assistant hitting coach, and he's he, we were looking out at the the larger bases, and he goes, they look like extra large pizza boxes out there. So that was that was an interesting observation, and uh, was what you know on uh, each of the practice fields they have two pitch clocks on either side of the plate, and uh, I was watching uh, James Karinjack throw his <clears throat> BP session uh, yesterday, and you know he. You know, he he wasn't like fidgeting too much. He was like all business, not too much time between pitches. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, the message is getting through here. Yeah. Uh, of any of the pitchers on the uh, the Guardian staff, uh, Karen Check is the one to worry about the most in terms of the histrionics and all the movement and, and the, the pre-pitch sort of twitching and, and moving that you have to, to sort of worry about. But, you know, maybe this helps him, uh, you know, sort of lock things in and and get a little focused. I, you know, he was effective last year. He was good last year. Let's let's see how this translates uh, visually for fans. I mean, they're going to notice uh, you know, two timers out in center field, uh, one on either side of, uh, you know, if you've got a left handed pitcher or a right handed pitcher. So they've got two out there. Uh, you've got two behind the plate, but uh, you won't see them uh, the 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 prevailing thought is you won't see them on TV broadcasts because they'll be far enough out of uh, out of the picture that uh, the cameras won't pick them up. I wonder if uh, local TV broadcasts are going to have the timer uh, on the on their scroll, like on the bottom uh, during uh, each at bat, so you can see. Uh, I, I just an observation is to see if they 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 do that, but. Uh, also, the way it's communicated is, is going to be kind of interesting. Uh, the the umpires are going to wear they're going to have like buzzers on their um, on their wrists and on their their belt packs to to sort of let them know when that pitch clock hits zero. So there's there's a lot of little nuances that go into uh, the pitch timer uh, and and you know how violations will be called, whether teams can wave off the violation if the result of the play is. Uh, is a positive one. 
Uh, there's uh, many little subtle nuances that hopefully get worked out here in these first couple of spring training games. Uh, Going to be very interested to see what what it looks like uh, on uh, Saturday when they first take the field. Yeah, Joe. I mean, uh, really, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, one of the things uh, <clears throat> I wasn't sure about was when the clock starts. And I guess as soon as a pitcher is on the dirt with the ball, the clock starts. Is that is that how you understand it? So once the pitcher uh, is is engaged with the uh, the rubber, I think is the is when the, the the clock starts. There's a 30 second clock between batters that starts from the last out. Uh, it's uh, two minutes and five seconds from the last out of the inning and 30 seconds after the out is made uh, on the bases. So, you know, that's that's how long they, they have to, to throw that first pitch, and then it starts 15 seconds when the bases are empty, uh, 20 seconds yeah. when the, the bases are occupied. So, uh, yeah, that's it, it'll be interesting uh, when the pitcher makes his first, like, movement to, to rock into the – uh, into the windup or when he lifts his leg out of the stretch, uh, that's when the pitch timer ends. So uh, it, it'll be it'll be close. It, it'll be, you know, to, to see how they're calling it uh, at the start of spring training, at the start of the regular season. Uh, you, you, uh, when it starts to impact the results of games, that's when I think you're going to hear a lot more outcry. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, you know a guy like Raphael Betancourt could not pitch in this in this era, or he'd have to really change. Uh, but a, like a guy like a Karinchek, <clears throat> you can keep you know kind of tapping your foot, right, your lead foot on the uh, when you're when you're engaged with the rubber, right? Right, because you have to come set <clears throat> at some point. You have to stop and come set at some point if you're out of the stretch like that. You can tap your foot, but out of the windup, you can't do all of the. Uh, the the uh, Johnny Cueto would be a good example. I mean, he starts and stops, and starts and stops again. Uh, Oliver Perez, with all of his you know funky deliveries and quick right. pitches and, and things, uh, he he would have maybe an adjustment to make, but you know he could still do what he needs to do. Uh, it, yeah, it, some guys. Uh, here's what the uh, what the league said in terms of uh, you know funky deliveries and and different kinds of deliveries. Uh, they they want pitchers with funky deliveries to still be funky and still do what works for them within the rules. Within they're going to call more balks this year because of it. They're go, you're going to see a lot more uh, when when pitchers do sort of violate that uh, with double moves to start uh, a pitch. They're going to call that kind of thing because uh, it, it you're not only deceiving the base runner, which is the intention of the balk rule. But you're also deceiving the pitch timer, who doesn't know when to start or stop the uh, the, the the clock. So, should be interesting. Uh, very, very much something to follow. Uh, as far as the infield shifts, what did you notice there? Uh, it, it, the way that they're lined up, taking uh, infield practice or or, or batting practice, uh, has that been affected by uh, the the infield shift prohibition? You know, I I haven't really seen them take a, a lot of infield yet. Um, and you know, when they're taking, uh, you know, just, it's been pretty much live BP sessions, uh, and, and there's nobody, you know, there's a couple guys in the outfield and stuff, but they really haven't set up, 
um, to, uh, you know, we, we really haven't seen them, you know, how how they're going to play or how they're taking ground balls. And and when they're due, it's just kind of the normal stuff. You know, we, we really haven't seen the shift in action. But I guess, you know, from they're going to have an aerial view, an overall view to make sure, you know, both the two infielders on, on you know, the time the two infielders on either side of second base and uh, they are still there by when when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand and you right. a, a violation could result in a ball you know being if if a guy is you know on the grass or gets a, gets a, a you know a head start on the pitch right and that's the you know motion defenses or something that they're talking about as as a as uh, one way to cheat around it and uh, they said that they will call those as violations uh, but the the t- the offensive team uh, let's say that uh, a pitch is thrown and uh, a, a, an infielder was was moving past the bag at the time of the pitch. The umpire calls a violation. It's almost like a delayed call because if the pitch crosses home plate and the batter swings at it and he hits a home run, you know, you don't want to go back and redo that that pitch, having it be called a ball. The, the, the offensive team can take the result of the play and, and decline the penalty, almost like uh you know, declining holding on on a play that results in a touchdown, uh, that uh, would be you know a, a positive. And that's the only fair uh, way to do that for for the offensive team. Uh, also, you know, interesting is they can still bring outfielders in to have a five man infield, and they can still move uh, you know outfielders around and, and shift them. You just can't have uh, four outfielders. You can't shift a, an infielder to another position. You have to basically uh, each inning. You have to declare not not each inning, but uh, you have to declare substitutes if you're going to substitute. If 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 a guy's going to move from the infield to the outfield, you have to declare that on the on the lineup card. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, I read about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, God, it's it's going to be As, complicated. Yeah, there's a lot to think about here. Uh, as far as the bigger bases go, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the bases looking like pizza boxes. Uh, the the height of the bases, the height of the bag itself is unchanged. There's, they went from 15-inch squares to 18-inch squares. Uh, but now, the and, and the, the, the middle of the bag is still the same height as it was before. It just visually, it just looks like it's uh, like flatter or shallower. Uh, as far as the distance between first base and second base, that's been reduced by four and a half inches. So think back to all of those, you know, super close plays and slow-mo on, uh, on, on dives and slides on steals. Uh, all of those are going to ha- have, uh, you know, four and a half inches is, is uh, maybe the difference in a lot of those plays. Uh, and we'll, we'll see maybe some more successful steal attempts. It's going to entice a lot more base runners to take off. Uh, and as far as the distance between uh, first base and home, that remains, uh, I, I believe, unchanged. Right, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's always been 90 feet. And, well, I guess it was never really 90 feet because right. it was 90 feet from the where the bases are staked into the ground. But, you know, you take the base, you know, the length of the base or the width of the base, that cuts down on that 90 feet. But now it's even closer. Right, yeah, the um, the it's it's measured from the back point of home plate to the back corner of first base. So 
you know, the it, the difference will be three inches, uh, you know, closer there. The bag itself will be three inches closer there. Uh, but it really, so it, it, it messes with the, it, but measured from uh, the back corner of first to the center of second base is the distance you're, you're going there. So, uh, you know, it, it's something for geometry and, and math guys. <laughs> all, all I know is that the bases are bigger. It's going to make it easier to steal. So we'll uh, we'll go with that. Uh, yeah, it's something that, that we're going to be following throughout the rest of spring training. Uh, the, you know, how the players are reacting, what their thoughts are on all this. So we'll uh, we'll continue to get that as we as we go through here in the next month or so. Um Moving on, uh, the White Sox announced that they've signed Elvis Andrus to a one-year deal. Uh, Andrus came on last year and and uh, and, and played uh, for Chicago. Uh, this is a guy who's always given uh, Cleveland fits. Uh, how uh, how does he factor in? Where does he fit in uh, with the White Sox uh, in in this upcoming season? Well, he's always been a shortstop, Joe, and I think he's now he's going to shift over to second base for the White Sox. You know, they kind of have an opening there. And, you know, I just remember Andrus when he when they uh, the White Sox picked him up late and he said, uh, you know, Cleveland was going to wilt down the stretch. And it turned out that uh, it was the White Sox that wilted. So, uh, you know, he's all but you're right. I mean, this guy was born to hit against Cleveland and he's going to be in the division now. So uh, I'm sure he's uh, feeling pretty comfortable right now. And I'm sure the uh, Guardians are are just dying for their opportunity to to remind him that uh, they did not wilt down the down the stretch. In fact, they only got stronger as the uh, the month of September uh, wore on. Uh, our friend Tyler Naquin uh, signs a minor league deal with the Brewers. So Naquin uh, uh, trying to trying to hook on and 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 stay in the bigs. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity there in the outfield in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think I think there will be for him, uh, Joe. You know, he's he's shown some power the last two years <clears throat> with the uh, what the, the 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 Reds and the Mets. Now he's uh, getting a chance in Milwaukee, so hopefully he catches on with that ball club. Right. Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the live batting practice sessions uh, that, that you were watching uh, yesterday. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, one of the guys out there on the mound, uh, James Karinchak as well. McKenzie pitched to Josh Bell. He pitched to Jose Ramirez and uh, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, what'd you take away from McKenzie out there on the mound throwing live BP yesterday? He looked good. Uh, you know, he looked free and easy. Uh, I don't think he's trying to, you know, <clears throat> strike everybody out, but uh, he looked, uh, you know, no no restrictions. He just looked like he was having fun out there, like it was business and not too many hard hit balls against them. Uh, you know, but that's most that's the case for most pitchers at this time of the spring, Joe. I think the hitters are not not they're a little reluctant to to step in against guys throwing you ninety to ninety five miles an hour this early in spring training. Right. Okay. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about today: uh, the idea of the opening day lineup, the ideal opening day lineup in a, in a perfect world uh, with everybody healthy and everybody ready to go what your ideal opening day lineup would look like. I, I, I asked this question of our subtext users. Uh, by the way, if you want to sign up for uh, Guardian subtext, now is like the perfect time to jump on board. $3.99 a month. Uh, if you log on to cleveland.com slash subtext or send a text message to 
the the inside information from Hoinsey right now has been outstanding uh, at at Guardians camp. Uh, again, the folks that are, are that we communicate with on subtext are sort of our our, our best readers and our best listeners because uh, they give us their feedback and their thoughts as well. And I, I asked them a question. I said, you know, what's your best ideal lineup for opening day? Uh, and and a couple of them were come, came back with some surprises, a few wrinkles, maybe a few changes from what we uh, what we would assume would be just the standard lineup. But uh, you know, uh, off the top of my head, you would think Quan, uh, Rosario, Ramirez, your first three with Bell, Naylor, and Gonzalez, uh, your next three, uh, and Jimenez, Zanino, and Straw at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, that, that to me would be, you know, the most natural and, and what you would think of, uh, you know, Tito would probably go with, uh, to start, but, uh, a lot of people wanted to offer their own suggestions and their own wrinkles. And, uh, I, I even heard, uh, a couple of guys suggest that uh, they move Jose Ramirez up to the number two hole, which to, to me sounded crazy to start with, but then you think about it a little more, you know, he gets more at bats. Uh, they they turn the lineup over to him uh, a lot faster, especially when uh, if if Zanino and uh, Straw aren't producing at the bottom of the lineup, uh, you, you're giving up two outs there uh, pretty much every time, uh, and, and you get to to Quan with with one or two outs, and you know he gets on base. Uh, you can you can have a, a little more of an extended inning. Uh, that would involve dropping. Ahmed Rosario down uh, in the order to 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 sixth or seventh, but uh, we don't know how he would how he would handle that. Uh, just what are your thoughts, Hoinsey, on you know moving some of these guys around in the lineup, uh, and do you do it just to do it, or do you do it because you have to have a reason to do it or a good reason to to make a change in the lineup like that? Yeah, Joe, I think, uh, you know, it's spring training, so you'll probably, exp- uh, you know, Francona will experiment a lot with the lineup. <clears throat> Usually, you know, if he needs a guy to get some at-bats uh, or, you know, has a guy maybe he's been hurt or hasn't, you know, had a lot of at-bats in spring training, he'll he'll bat him up at the top of the lineup just, just to do that. So, you know, if somebody sees a lineup like that where uh, – you know, uh, like Josh Bell is hitting second. I don't think, you know, don't read anything into that. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, the guy that's interesting to me, Joe, is Jimenez. You know, he seems, you could bat him at the top of the lineup, he seems to me. Would you, could you switch Jimenez and Rosario? I I don't know if you would, but, you know, Rosario gives you so much, you know, what, he he gives you, what, 180 hits last year? Um, You know, he can run. I don't know. I mean, it, you, you know, so, a, a big part of me says if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's the prevailing wisdom that will sort of carry through, and they won't change things. I think your your top three is going to be Juan Rosario Ramirez for the vast majority of the season as long as everybody's healthy. Uh, and that's the big caveat there. Uh, but sometime in his career, at some point in his career, if he continues on the path that he's on, Andres Jimenez is a two or a three hitter. I mean, this is a guy who can hit for average, has pop in his bat, gets on base and can run. Uh, I don't I don't think he's quite there to be a three hitter yet, but
but he definitely could could profile for that that two hole uh and eventually he's he he could be a shortstop as well that that's there's there's different things about him that that you know make it so that he could bat in that sort of uh in, in that position I, I don't think it's too out of the question but you're right his versatility is what you know really helps right now you can leave him in that seventh spot and and he produces you could move him up uh you know a little higher and, and he'd produce so uh we saw last year once he figured things out he really took off and and uh right now i think He's not as affected by where he bats in the lineup as a guy like Rosario sort of has shown us that he is. So, uh, you know, maybe you just leave him down there in that seventh spot and and he he kickstarts the bottom of your lineup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Francona always likes to have a guy down at the bottom of the lineup that can ambush a hitter. I mean, a pitcher. And, you know. Jimenez uh, certainly did that last year, what, 17 home runs, you know, almost hit 300. So, you know, like you said, Joe, you need somebody at, you don't want to give the three outs, give up three outs at the bottom of the lineup every time you get there. So, you know, he really kind of puts some teeth in the lineup in that spot. And and he's versatile enough, you know, and he's young enough that, you know, gradually in the, in the next couple of years, you could move him up in the lineup. Okay. So a lot of questions, a lot of uh you know, possibilities, but the, 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 the likelihood is that, that Tito sticks with uh, what, what really worked for him uh, toward the end of the season. And, and Hey, the, the one thing we didn't talk about there was uh, if Miles Straw starts to hit, you know, what do you do with Miles Straw? Uh, Again, if he, if he starts to hit, then you got a little more flexibility and versatility. You can move Zanino down and, you know, move guys around. Uh, If he doesn't, hit then you're talking about maybe playing will brennan or, or playing somebody else uh uh in that spot and, and keeping that number nine spot uh open for uh, a lot of different options yeah good uh, point, our- Joe. you know I, the one thing we forgot to talk about straw's probably not going to play the first two or three uh cactus league games because of a sore right knee and and this does does it seem like it's something that could develop into an issue or is it you know, just give him rest now and, and make sure that it's it's taken care of before, uh, you know, the season gets going. Yeah, that's it's the latter. I think they're just being really cautious. You know, Francona said if it was July, he'd be playing. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, Hoinsey uh, is is still out there in Arizona. He's we're heading towards Saturday's Cactus League opener. Uh, getting ready for that. We'll uh, we'll hear more from him. Uh, uh, later on this week here on the uh, Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll catch you then. All right, Joe.